0: Uh, We're going to be reading uh, Micah 4, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn to your phones or open your Bible, that'll be Micah 4, verses 1 through 5. Or we have it up on the screen. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for, law, for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: How many of you love going to the mountains? Oh, wow, that's that's a lot of people, yeah. It's a lot of people for those living in Huntington Beach, too, right? Or in Found Valley, Costa Mesa area. But they're just so close. Now, how many of you have had a mountaintop experience with God? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you want to hear about one of my favorite mountaintop experiences with God? Yeah. Yeah? All right. Well, I was going to tell you anyways, so <laughs> it's just really more a formality. Um, so my favorite one was up at Forest Home Christian Camp. It was July of 1993 and I went up to a junior high camp and by this is a little plug for for camps and and for kids as well um, and I was up there and God wasn't really real to me I had heard about you know God and the gospel and Jesus going going to church for a few years but God wasn't really real and leading up to the time that I gave my life to the Lord on July 7th 1993 my re-birthday date um, or my new birthday date. Um, I had all these questions about evolution that our youth director, Peter, was talking through with me. I was experiencing God in worship. All these things were happening and I encountered God. God was real and I heard the gospel and for a 13 year old, I didn't quite hear the full gospel, but I heard enough. I heard enough that there was this God, he sent Jesus and there was heaven and hell and there was a better life now. And I went, I don't really want to go to hell. So I will choose to believe this good news that I'm hearing for the first time. And after that, my faith deepened, and I had a positive experience of life with God now, this joy, this peace, and a transformation that happened in my heart. Soon after, my heart was reoriented as the sense of gratitude of wanting to serve God, and soon after that, I had a call into ministry when I was about 14, 15 uh, years old. It was just this strange thing that I was, I think I need to go in the ministry. And I had, like, all these confirmations, and it happened, uh, Uh, happened back then in July 1st it'll be 20 years here in ministry Um, and so to think back that's been a while that's let's see do the math 93 to yeah that's that's a long time that's like 30 years wow that's that's a long time so we hear about mountaintop experiences with God in this week's passage we hear about how Israel's had one and how God desires one for the whole world not just for Israel and this is part of our Love HB series that we're doing, where we're exploring the question, How do we love HB? What does it look like for us to do that? And we've had three answers. Three answers. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And it comes out of this passage, Micah 6 8. He has told you, O mortal, or O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So week one, Peter talked about not getting justice in this like negative sense or punitive sense, but doing justice, that you and I actually have a part in doing what's right and just in the world to create a better world here and now that God calls us to. We can actually do something. It's not just for police or legal people. We actually get to do something. And then Peter talked about loving kindness. And this word is uh, chesed. It's a fun word. Do you want to say it with me? Chesed. If you say it too much, you get a really, like, scratchy throat. Um, Hebrew, you just, there's a lot of kind of sounds. It's, It's just a different sounding kind of language. But he talked about how God has this steadfast love or loyal love or kindness towards us. And we, in response to that love, show steadfast love to God and to the world. And now we're talking about walking humbly with your God. Now, to really understand this this passage, we're going back to Micah 4, 1 through 5, what Susie just read, and to walk humbly with your God, the basic message is you offer yourself up as his servant. To walk humbly with God is offering yourself up as a servant. So that's the basic message that that we're going to unpack. Because the mountain is not just a place of encounter, it's also a place of transformation and calling. It's a place of encounter, of transformation, of calling. That's what I experienced in 1993. God calls us, if you will, up to the mountain and then sends us back down again as His servants. Up and back down. That's that's the vision that we're going to unpack. We're going to look first at the word humbly. We're going to spend most of our time there. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to walk. Humbly and walk. So we're going to kind of go backwards. And we're going to go back and forth between the Old and New Testaments. Because this is this passage that, that was read looks forward to a future time. But we're on the other side of what God has done. So we're going to move back and forth a couple times. Um, so that's, that's where we're going. Let's get started with the word humbly. This need for humility comes into view when you read a, f- a few verses just before this passage. And whenever you're studying or reading scripture, always read some passages before and after if you really want to understand it. That's a really good idea. So we're, we'll read the four verses leading up to this passage and then verses one and two. And I have them up there, and I know it's really tiny, but I want to highlight a couple of things in a minute. But you can turn there, Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, or you can listen. So the passage that was read is good news. Here's some bad news before we get to the good news. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. In other words, the leaders who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Zion was another word for Jerusalem or the the temple itself, the mountain where the temple was as well. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. In other words, Everyone's corrupt. The political leadership, the religious leadership, all across the board. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So God indicts his people, especially the leaders, and he says the mountain of the Lord, the place where God's temple, God's house is, will be demolished. Okay? So what is this whole mountain thing all about? What, 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 what is this all about? Well, in the ancient Near East, in the culture that Israel was a part of and surrounding, mountains were places of divine encounter. They were, they were places that you met the gods, And the idea is the the higher up you are, the closer you are up to where the gods were, especially the the high gods that that were worshipped, because lots of different people worshipped lots of different gods. And so the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, was a high place. It was a place high up. But it wasn't actually that physically high. The Mount of Olives nearby is actually a good bit taller. I haven't been there, but I really want to go there. Um, But I know it's a bit taller, but spiritually... The Temple Mount was exalted because that's the place where heaven and earth met, where heaven kissed earth, where God's dwelling place was, where the Israelites know they could come and meet God. Now, in this passage, what do you hear? Do the Israelites at this time sound humble or prideful? Pretty prideful, right? They say, leaning on the Lord, oh, series just responds in the worst times. I say to my daughter, hey, sweetie, and all the time, Siri responds. I say, hey, Siri, no response. (laughs) Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. It's the middle of the 8th century BC. You have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the the kingdom of Israel split about 200 years earlier. And you have both kingdoms are starting to do better. The bigger powers around them are kind of, Not as powerful, and they're getting prosperous again, and they're getting a little bit prideful. Like, hey, we're actually on track with God. Things are going great. The Lord's in our midst. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Yeah, maybe we have some things to work on. But no, Micah says here, no, you're you're relying, you're presuming upon God's grace. You've not humbled yourselves before God, acknowledging your need for his forgiveness, for his mercy. You've presumed upon it. You've thought that disaster will not come upon you because God is in your midst. You are wrong. All right, now let's read verses one and two. It shall come to pass in the latter days, in the future time, a distant future, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted above all the hills. And people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you see the contrast there between the bad news and the good news? The bad news is what? What's going to happen to the mountain? It's going to be, it's going to be destroyed, right? It's going to be crumbled down. What's going to happen in the future time to the mountain where God's house is? It'll be exalted, okay? So this is the hope that we have. Yes, Zion would be judged, but later on there's a hope for a better future. And this is the hope that Jesus comes and takes up and transforms for us, the church, God's new covenant people. He says, I've come to fulfill those kinds of promises about the future. They came about in ways that Israel didn't expect, but that's what he came to do. And that's why this is for us. God's people were called to live into this hope of a new future. It's almost like the kind of hope that you have when you're engaged, right? When, when you're engaged, for those of you who've been married, you know, you see marriages on the horizon. I need to start making maybe some different decisions, you know, maybe some big purchases I'm not going to, to make until I consult with my, my, uh, my engaged-to-be. I don't know what the right term is that. <laughs> Fiance, thank you. Wow. <laughs> It's a very difficult word <laughs> with, with my fiance. I couldn't remember the the gender neutral one um, with with my with my fiance. And I remember explicitly doing this. I wanted to get a new TV. I needed one, but I was like, well, "What's the point of buying one if you know?" A few months later, we're gonna. Need probably a much bigger one, and I can't have that bigger one. It's also like the hope of when you see a baby coming, or a second, or a third baby, and you know life is going to change. It's this new future that's on the horizon, and you begin to live into that future. But before you get there, for the Israelites, there's judgment. There's judgment. Because Israel would not humble themselves before God. Humiliation, rather than humility, was coming their way. God says, you have not humbled yourselves, so humiliation is coming your way. And God sent the prophets during this time from about 750 to 450 BC to communicate to his people this big vision for the future. We didn't get all the details. We don't know exactly what it all means. But it's not only about salvation. It's also about judgment to come before the salvation. And it's not just about Israel. It's for the whole world. And it's not just about some immediate judgment that would come some couple hundred years later, it's about the distant future when Christ, when the Messiah would come and he would make all things new. And so that's why this has to do with us. This is the kind of vision we're living into. I think one of the most difficult things as parents is discipline, trying to do discipline. Any other parents out there agree? Yes, it's especially when they're younger in teenage years maybe. I don't have a teenager, but I imagine like those are the two two times that it's most difficult. One of the things that, that helps me out personally that I've learned is to give my kids choices. It doesn't always work. It doesn't solve everything, but I'll, I've learned rather than to get angry at the moment, say, you have a choice. Like you can choose to listen or there'll be consequences. It's up to you. And some more often than not, it works. Um, I'm not perfect in doing that, but I found that it, that it works. And that's what the Lord does to the prophets. Like through Micah here, God warned them at the end of chapter 3. You have a choice, humility or humiliation. Humility or humiliation. A path that leads to life, a path that leads to death. And the same is true for you and for me. That God puts before us a path of life, leads to life in abundance and fruitfulness, and a path that ultimately leads to death or a life that doesn't work as well. There's this quote from this book I read called Soulcraft about 10 years ago, and it stuck with me from, ever, from when I first read it. In fact, I'm gonna go back to the book because I didn't finish it up. And in this book, Doug Webster talks about humility or, hu- or humiliation and the choices that are involved. He says, it comes down to two choices. Humility or humiliation or humility. It's only one or the other. No matter how outwardly successful or physically attractive or brilliantly smart we may be, if we haven't experienced humility before God, we are hounded by the fear of humiliation. As long as we are impressed with ourselves and seek to impress others, the fear of humiliation keeps the grace of humility at bay. I'll read that last line again. As long as we are impressed with ourselves and seek to impress others, the fear of humiliation keeps the grace of humility at bay. God is very gracious, but he gives it to the humble. If you're standing up and exalting yourself before God, you have a hard road ahead of you. But if you humble yourself before God, God loves to show grace to those who humble themselves before him. That's how he works. And I found this to be true in my life. We, that's what's happening with the prophets here, is you have a choice, humility or humiliation. Humility or humiliation. Humiliation. We are all in needs of God's grace, God's grace to forgive us, God's grace to empower us to live. And if we humble ourselves before God, he can and will be gracious. So we've seen this picture of humiliation, but now we need to look at a picture of humility. What does it look like to actually humble yourself before God? And to do that, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 19, I invite you to turn there. Exodus 19 verses four through six. This is a time when God is first entering into this special relationship with the Israelites. It's after he's rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he's inviting them into this relationship some 500 years or so earlier. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. You can uh, read it for yourself or hear it. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, in other words, if you will bow yourself before me, if you will be my servant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so this is the invitation some 500 years earlier. Will you enter into this relationship? The whole world is mine, but I want to make you my special people. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will be in your midst. And I'll make you a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. And I have great things in store for you in the world. This isn't about earning God's grace. God's already been gracious to them. He saved them. And he's saying, in response to that grace, be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And depend on me in my grace. And here we get a really clear picture of what walking humbly with God looks looks like. Walking with God humbly means listening to God's voice above all others. It means listening to God's voice above all others. Including your own. Including what your heart tells you. You are not your own leader. God is your leader. I am bound myself before you. I am going to, my life is yours. I think we sang is something like that already, right, Josh? And we'll, we'll be singing some other songs later on. It's about offering ourselves up before God. So let's go back to Micah. Essentially, God was calling his people out for not keeping their end of the bargain. He said, hey, you agreed to do this. And I've been very patient. I've had 500 years of patience. And it's time for some discipline it's time to experience some consequences now like the israelites god graciously, graciously saves us and calls us to be a royal priesthood now we're moving to the new testament okay this is first peter 2 9 and 10 but you you all are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession sounds kind of familiar where, where did we hear that Exodus 19, right? Yeah, we we just heard that. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just like back then in the first Exodus, there's a new Exodus that's happened through Jesus' death and resurrection, where he's rescued us from the slavery of sin and death and the devil And made us his own. And it says, you will be for me a royal priesthood. I have a purpose for you in the world. And you and I have a choice. How will we respond to God's mercy and his grace? Will we become prouder and more self-reliant as our culture tells us we need to live? Or will we humble ourselves and become increasingly dependent upon God? And it's not a one-time choice. It's not like just because I did that back on July 7th, 1993, that that's it. I have to continue to go back to that again and again. And it's the same for all of us. God is saying, bow yourself before me. Humble yourself. I'm gracious. I want to use you. I want to transform you. I want to call you into what I'm doing in the world. You have a choice. I have a choice. Now, I want to make sure that I am super clear on this point, that you hear this very clearly. There is an ultimate humiliation that will be coming for those who do not believe the good news about God's grace. There is that time coming when Christ comes back. That's not all that I'm talking about. I'm talking about, for us as God's people, God disciplines us at times. In Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, this is a bit of wisdom about how God disciplines us. My son, do not, and daughter... Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves and as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the Lord's discipline is actually a sign of his love. And I'm going to do a quick little side point to fathers. Is fathers at times are known as sh- maybe shying away for, from discipline. Like, oh, I, I, I'm going to be like the, the dad who does the fun things. You know, mom, mom will take care of that. No, this is a a sign of God's character and image in us when we discipline our kids. And that starts with God. God disciplines us. And it can be difficult to identify what is God's discipline and what's the brokenness in the world. But know this, that there are times when God removes his hand a bit for you to experience the consequences of your sin. Because he wants to get your attention. It's not, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because you're, you're out of a relationship with him. But at times, and you need to take this up with the Lord if you think this is what the Lord's doing. I can't identify that. At times, the Lord does those kinds of things. He says, I need to get your attention. Your heart's straying a little bit away from me. Does God have your whole heart? does God have your whole heart? Or is part of it going away, as Peter was saying, to some, some good things, but they're not the best things that he has for you. Or maybe, you know, you're, part of your heart's just shifting away from him into areas where you know are just not best for you. If you hear the Lord calling today or tomorrow, respond as quickly as possible. He is gracious and he's waiting. He wants our whole heart. And if, and if your heart is devoted to the Lord right now, Rejoice in that. Draw strength from that. The Lord, the Lord wants to use you. So that's the first word, humbly. Okay, take a deep breath. It's a bit, it's kind of some heavy stuff, right? So let's, let's, let's shift from that negative but necessary topic and go into our second word in a more positive direction, walking, walking humbly. We've come across this word already in Micah 4, 2, Micah chapter 4, verses 2 and 5, and and chapter 6, verse 8. It's the word halak. There's that Say it with me. Halak. It means to walk, to go, to come. So it's the idea of like physically walking or going or, or coming here. It's that basic idea. But more figuratively, it has to do with how you conduct your life. And this verb is all over the place in the Old and New Testaments. Paul talks about our walk before God or our walking with God, for example, so walking, literally one step in front of the other, each choice we make is a, is a metaphor, a picture for our life before God. Because we're always walking, right? We're, we're, we're always moving around. And each decision we make is how we're conducting our life before God. So you could translate it this way, a couple verses. Conduct your life in the name of the Lord our God. In chapter 4, verse 5. Or chapter 6, verse 8. Conduct your life humbly with your God. Or walk humbly with your God. Are you getting getting to see this picture here? So here's something really, really quite amazing that I want you to hear this morning. God's plan is to use your humble walk to bring the world back to himself. God's plan is to use your humble walk before him to bring the world back to himself. That he's gonna use that to get the gospel out. It's not just having the best answers to people's questions, like a 13-year-old's questions about evolution. That's not what brought me to the Lord. It was experiencing God's presence and God's love. That's what ultimately brought me to the Lord. It was people there who were humbly being used by God. And that's God's plan to bring the world back to himself. And that's the picture we get in Micah chapter 4. That's what God is up to. And that's what Love HB is, is really all about, is that we would do justice, we would love kind, kindness as we were walking humbly with our God. Because if we're not walking humbly with our God, all the things we do are empty, all the justice, all the acts of loving kindness are humble. I love how Josh has been talking about, we really need to know God. We really need to encounter him, experience his presence, get to know him more and more, because it's out of the overflow of that that other people can experience the transforming power of God through us. Our hope that is that Love HB would spark something in us as a church. It's not just about June 23rd and doing some amazing things for the city. It's not just about that. It's about rekindling or kindling maybe in us for the first time the possibilities, of what God can do in our everyday life, wherever you're walking, whether you're on tour with a band, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are retired, whether you are drudging your way through a job that you hate, whether you're going through a difficult that, wherever you're at, we want us to spark to our imaginations of what God can do. And it's, it's not about us kind of like here's the things through, but that God would lead you on your own in your own worlds to walk humbly with him, to do justice, to love kindness. Are you guys getting the picture here? Are you seeing this? I am like super excited about, about this vision here, that the wind of the spirit would spark this fire, would blow it up. So let's go back to Micah 4 verses 1 and 2, but I want to move one of the verses around so that you kind of see what the vision is really all about. I was doing some study this past week and the commentator, one of the commentators I was reading said, if you move one of the verses around and hear it, you, you get a better sense for what God is up to. So um, I'm not saying you can do this to just move scripture around. I'm trying to say like, I'm noting it's been reordered. This is not the way to always read Micah 4, 1 through 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills. That's step one of God's plan, okay? Step two is for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. How's the, the word of the Lord and God's teachings gonna go out? By God's people. So the mountain gets exalted and God's people get sent down. The people go up to the mountain and then they go out to the rest of the world. And then, step three, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Let's go to the mountain where God's house is, God's temple is, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may halak in his paths, that we may walk in his paths. Are you seeing this here? God says, I'm going I'm to exalt My temple, my house, in in this amazing way, and I'm gonna call my people up and they're gonna experience God like they never have before. And then I'm gonna send them back down and they're gonna teach the rest of the world His ways so that they too might walk in His ways and experience and know God as they have. And it's this constant movement up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. This is at the heart of our mission statement. We're trying to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope and love come up to the mountain so to speak. That follows Jesus where? Into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. This is built into our mission statement. Come up to the mountain, go down from the mountain. Come up, go down. Come up, go down. So when God is exalted as the king and he his place is exalted in the world, his dwelling place is home on this exalted mountain, his people go out and walk humbly and are used by him and the world begins to experience God's goodness more and more in a deeper way and there's this transformation that begins to happen and i want to highlight this transformation in back in micah chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So there's this transformation, there's peace in the whole world. And then verse four, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So instead of, instead of the world taking up their, their goods and making things of war, they're gonna use it for agriculture because they don't need to ha- have war anymore. And there'll be the sense of wholeness before God. This is the kind of world that you and I get to have a part in making as God works through us by the power of the spirit. Isn't this exciting? I mean, I just, I'm just blown away that God wants to do this with you and me. And let's talk about this house a little bit more. And we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to move a little bit more quickly than I planned. This house is not an actual mountain, right? You can go up to, to, you can go up to Forest Home and experience God there, but you can also experience God down here too. Or up on a hill, wherever. Wherever. So we heard earlier about this royal priesthood that we're called, but where's the temple? Okay, where's the temple? 1 Peter 2, 3 and 4. As you come to him, to Christ, a living stone, he's the cornerstone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So... Where's the temple? Where's God's house? It's right here. You, you guys, you guys are are the living stones that are are the temple. You're also the priests. What does this mean? This means that wherever you're going, you are places where people can encounter God on the mountain. Let that just set in for a, a little bit. Wherever you are at, people can encounter God through you. You don't need to bring them to some special place like a church or go up to a mountain. And God absolutely does does meet people there. And and there's amazing things that happens. But I want you to hear that he also does it everywhere else through you. Because where you are is where part of the temple is. And you are a priest and you can offer up sacrifices. And these sacrifices are, are proclaiming him in word and deed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we proclaim God as we live our lives, as we share the gospel. And I want to just close with a quick picture of what this can look like. This comes from our Roots Discipleship course. It's called the Triple L Approach to Disciplemaking. And It starts with loving others as Jesus would. How would Jesus love those people in your world as you encounter them? That's a powerful question to ask. But people can experience God's presence on the mountain through you as you do this. Second, listen to God and their life story. Listen to where people are at. Get to know them. Be open, cultivate relationships. Get to to know people, not just for the sake of, of getting them the gospel, but really get to know people. And then finally, lead them to the gospel. Lead them to the good news of God's grace. I've experienced this grace. I've humbled myself. You too can have this. Love, listen, lead, wherever you're at. And when they hear the gospel, they say, come, let us go to the mountain of the house of Jacob. Let us go up, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Because there's a lost, hurting world out there that needs to experience his presence. Let's pray. Living Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are part of your house, that you are the cornerstone, that we get to encounter God through you, that we get to be transformed and called into what you're doing in this world. Lord, spark in us that fire. Respark it, whatever we need, so that we might seek you and walk in your name forever and ever.
0: It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.